It is March 19th, a Saturday. It is the time for the TryGames.net, the podcast. And I keep on putting the in front of the, 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 everything. The chewing. That's all right. Oh, God. Yes, you are. You're chewing very loudly, too. No, I'm actually um, trying to be very easy with it. It's just that the mic is, like, right there. Exactly. And thus, to me, it's loud. So you... Like a, like a cow. Actually, actually, no. Cows are more like... <laughs> You're just crunching. Yeah. Pizza. That's Al. Hi. I'm eating pizza. Yeah. I'm your host, Austin. I run this shit with Al. Mm-hmm. Um, PT will likely join us in a few minutes, maybe about half an hour. Uh, mm-hmm. He is currently sleeping off whatever he's hanging over mm-hmm. or something. No good. We were at PAX last week, uh, Pete and I actually. Al, unfortunately, was not, but he was there with us in spirit. Rocking his spirits. Rocking his dreads on the rock band stage, and most swears that those aren't dreads, that th- those are braids. Mm-hmm. Um, so you two can fight that out. I said it's your hair, so you can call it whatever you want. But um, well, I definitely can't take it out. <laughs> that's what she... No. Uh, <laughs> so when Pete comes, we'll we'll discuss a little bit of, of the stuff that we saw at PAX with you, Al, and, and you can feel free to ask questions and, and, and cuss at us for getting to try Bastion and stuff like that and the 3DS. Uh, but really, it's going to be here soon, and I'm sure they're trotting out 3DS demos everywhere. Yeah, there's um, a 3DS demo on uh, Chelsea, Megusab. Oh, yeah, 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 I saw that, yeah. Um, and somewhere else is close to me, I don't remember. Best probably, pro- yeah, probably a Best Buy. Uh, but, as we have been very long without an episode, last week we uh, I had some problems with my computer, which I'll go into in a second, as well as uh, we didn't do a PAX episode with the guys up there because we were too busy drinking. Uh-huh. I want to know what Al's been crunching on and playing uh-huh. over the past two weeks. Mid-crunch. I was hoping you would go first. <laughs> nope. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, <laughs> well as Come I... On, do you want me to? I can, it, it, do you have a lot of shit or do you just want to sit there and crunch? I just wanted to finish my pizza so I wouldn't have any interruptions. Oh, this podcast is over. All right, let's go. Bye. All right, fine. I'll go. Uh, I finished 999. Uh-huh. Nine... Hours, nine persons, nine doors. Mm-hmm. Or I f- yes. bet you I got that wrong. Oh, I got it right. Mm-hmm. So I finished that five times over. Got the got the real ending. Um, I did not get one of the six endings, which is but but it was still a bad ending, and I kind of don't care. Uh huh. Um, it's oh my god, mm-hmm. that crunching is like hurting my ears. Oh damn, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, I uh, I, I got to the point where it is kind of mind fucky. Um, but that's all, that's kind of all the way at the, it's like one of those, um, it's one of those, uh, I, well, okay, so it's a Japanese game, obviously, but it, it kind of follows the quasi-stereotypical, um, story arc of, okay, all this weird shit is happening throughout the story, and then, like, 99.8% of it gets explained in some really convoluted reasoning at the end, or in the last hour. Oh, damn. Which, which is kind of how I felt about, like, a lot of, uh... A lot of um, I'm trying to think because I didn't really watch that many anime mm-hmm. series, but like for nine nine nine, no 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 in general I'm, I'm talking oh. about Japanese anime in general um in general um but you know stuff like uh uh Eva mm-hmm. you know when you when you get to like the last two episodes it all just turns weird 
Okay. Um, Xenogears, which is pretty much EVA on PlayStation. Yeah. Uh, Xenogears, where you're playing it and playing it, and all of a sudden, for like the last stanza, it's everyone talking to you from a chair. <laughs> well, it's just Faye talking to you from a chair, but yeah. I, I know, I know, mm-hmm. I know. Uh-huh. Um, and with something like The Matrix, which the Wachowski brothers... Or the Wachowski brother and sister, depending on who you ask. And I don't, I, I always forget if it's Wachowski or Wachowski. Anyway, um, which is which was a very kind of anime influenced series. You know, when you get up to the fucking architect part and he starts to explain stuff to you, like everything in five minutes. You know that type of stuff. Th- this is what that's like. Like they drop shit at you. Yes, literally shit. So they drop stuff your way, like throughout the story, kind of. And, and that's what I was saying the weeks prior. I was just like, well, they're, they're going off on these weird tangents about, like, telepathy and time travel, like, all this weird stuff, and you're, oh, really? Oh, my God. You're really loud. <laughs> I, I muted the, no, you know what? This fucking mic doesn't work anymore. No, your face doesn't work. This, I hit mute, right? And I then I see face. the thing. I see the fucking wave. That music went through. <laughs> that's fucking bullshit. You're fuck, bullshit. Fuck you, Logitech. You're and you I don't know what model this fucking shit is. Keep going. Um, and and all all so, so they're dropping all this these not really hints but like these stories, and you're wondering what do they have to do with the main story? I'm just trying to get off this boat. And one person's talking about a mummy that's on the boat. One person's talking about like uh how how people can kind of tell tell what a a certain painting is of when the painting is kind of war- like like you're looking like at abstract art and you can say oh that's a dog and you're wondering well how how do you tell that's a dog but some person just has a perception and throughout generations of humanity people start to um more ad- adeptly kind of identify that picture and it's like well this is you know this kind of knowledge was telepathically passed down through the generations that's how come more and more people know that this is a painting of a dog and you're like what like that what's makes going on what no fucking sense Right. Well, I mean, right I, I'm now. making, mm-hmm. I'm making, yeah, I'm making really short work of it. When you're in the game, you'll be like, oh, okay, I understand. Mm-hmm. But it's it's one of those things where it's just like, okay, uh, this is fascinating in some certain sense, but what does this have to do with me getting off this goddamn boat and trying to solve this puzzle? You know, and there are like three, four, five stories about that type of different weird shit that, in the very end, it all comes together and 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 it shows it you it tells you like, I mean, I'm not gonna tell you what it tells you, but it's like this is why. They were talking about this stuff, and this is how it's related to what you're doing. It doesn't necessarily explain everything, but it still shows you how it's related. So it's basically dropping clues, and then once you finally find out the explanation for exactly what's going on, it's kind of one of those things where you really want to go onto Wikipedia or a forum page to see what people's theories are. It's not like it's super confusing and like unclear-cut. Like Their intention is, is clear, but it's so like, wait, wait, I gotta hear that again, wait. Wait, what? Wait, wait, okay, so you're saying that A happened, and then B happened, and then C kind of does this in the middle of A and B, and then she... What? You know, like, all the words are there, and you see them, and you understand them, but you don't. <laughs> okay. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to find a good comparison for that. Um, I'm trying to think of, of something as unwieldy like a time-traveling game. Uh, let's say, let's say that it's like... Uh, one of the most convoluted Phoenix Wright stories, uh, with with an added element of weird like tele- telepathic shit or whatever. I would say I would say it's kind of like uh, um, which one's the third one? Justice for All. Mm, Trials and Tribulations. Trials and Tribulations is the third one. Um, or like no, you have Justice all that. Stu- 
Okay, where you have all that stupid stuff with the ghosts and everything. And the Magatama. Yeah, and you're like, wait, what? Mm-hmm. Like, what's going on? Who, Who's in what body? What? Ah? Yeah. It's kind of like that, except bloodier. <laughs> uh, well, it's bloodier because the whole game is, is freaking bloody. And I'm going to have to blow my nose. Check this out. Playing a trumpet. Yeah, except it's out your nose. And there's stuff coming out. Ah, and it's see? Ah, see? Ah, see? You're not forgetting me in time, okay? Yeah. yeah. That's the way I talk, see? And I'm going to have to do it again. Watch this. Oh, shit. <laughs> got blinded for a second. I think that's two nose blows for the two crunches. <laughs> so hopefully, well, not for my sake, but for novelty's sake, hopefully the next time you crunch, my nose will fill up again, and I feel it filling up again already, so. It'll probably happen, like, in a month, because I'm finished. A month. A, a month. A month. M-U-M-F. Month. M-U-M-F. So... Nine nine nine. So so overall, I liked it. I I I did. I do admit that I kind of got sick of it near the end, where I was just like, "All right, look, I really just want to see this ending." Mm-hmm. Um, but and, and whether or not the ending was good, you know, requires me to think about it a little bit. I don't really want to think about it. All I know is at the time that I read the the text for the ending as it was going on, I was like, "Huh? <laughs> the fuck? Holy sh! This is this is." This is bizarre, and, you know, honestly, that's a win in my book, because it's, it was just, like, really weird, and it made me, like, you know, like, it wasn't like, oh, God, this is really stupid. Even mm-hmm. though it might have been stupid at the time, I wasn't thinking that, because I was like, what, wait, huh, what? So, I was. oh, oh, you know what else I can compare it to that's that's kind of mind-fucky? Mm-hmm. Uh, the end of Assassin's Creed 2. Ah, uh, okay, yeah. In a certain sense. That's how mind-fucky it is. I was gonna ask you about, um... The getting to the end, uh, I mean, I know you haven't gotten the true ending of Eternal Darkness, but um, I, I, I uh, no, I had no. You're right, I haven't yet because I only beat it once. Yeah, I, I got the true ending to Eternal Darkness, and I mean, granted, it took me like six years to do it. Right, because you have to beat it. You have to beat it three, four times, right? I think three, not four. Three. Okay. I think on the third time, then you get to the last part, but I don't remember it. And you get you get a cho- oh, okay, but. <clears throat> Imagine going through the game, like that entire like ten hour game, right? Three times. Oh jeez, I would love to do that. I just don't have the time. I, you know, I might just game fax my way through the through the other parts, and regrettably so. But, but you've already done it, so it's not really that bad. Uh, it kind of is because my memory is shot. Well, yeah, I mean that that's what happened with me. Like I think I picked it up in two thousand and eight, I think, and I was in the middle of like the second playthrough. And I just kind of read up a, a fact just to kind of get my bearings, and then I continued from there, and then I went through the third playthrough. But <clears throat> it was like really long. When you get to the fact that like you know, uh, a lot of stuff you've already done, like you say in nine nine nine, you're you're going through like some puzzles that you've already done and dialogue that you've already seen. With the dialogue goes really fast, right? Um, but it's been so long for me. It's literally been like two thousand five. Oh yeah, I know. Um, and. I remember playing that for the first time and then finishing it and then getting to that point set halfway through the second playthrough and then putting it down for three, four years, something like that is ridiculous. So um, I was wondering if it was kind of like that kind of experience where you're <clears throat> kind of in the middle of the game, but you really just want to get to the ending so bad that playing like the regular game, it's almost like tugging at you. You know what I mean? Like you're really enjoying the game, but at the same time you're like, I just want to. I don't have time for this shit. 
I just, yeah. I just, I've, I've gone through this already, and I've gone through it again, and I just want it to be over. But um, I don't know. I digress. I mean, that's that's kind of how nine 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 was. I mean, with less of the wow, I'm really, really enjoying this because a lot of like a lot of the quote unquote gameplay is in experiencing the story, and when you've seen the story before many times already. And are forced to read those same stories about like the the dog and the mummy and all that shit again. It's like, all right, I you know I get it, I get it. You know, it's not like, it's not like a, uh, it's not like a book because or a movie in the sense that because with a book <clears throat> you're just reading all the way through. Right. And with, with a, a movie, movie it's being out. it's passive and it's being spit at you. With this, it's like, um, first of all, it like let's let's be realistic here. A lot most of video game story writing. Although getting better and although like intriguing in a sense, to me isn't as sophisticated or as well done as books. At least this game in particular, and a lot of other games. I mean, th- yeah. let's face it, because they're not uh, written by you know people who are like novelists. Well, I mean that that's uh, that's that's probably the case, but like even still, like, I, and I'm not talking about something like a Bioshock where you know most of the story was through audio. I'm talking about, like, a, a, a full-blown, like, text adventure like this. Yeah. You know, a Japanese kind of text-based thing. Um, like, Phoenix Wright's writing isn't on the level of a great book, in my opinion. Yeah. Like, opinion. Ma- does it um, doesn't make it any less enjoyable. Yeah. I was going to say, you saying? would you think that, uh, just arbitrarily, if a, you know, best-selling novelist were to write a game, not, not the game itself, but the... Um, the, the would you do the writing of the script and things like that for the game? Do you think that it it would be even better, or do you think that just because they're going into like a, a different territory, like you don't see novelists write movies, they just kind of get consulted based on whatever? But but then again, movies don't really come out of a novelist's idea before it's in a book. I don't I don't know. I've never encountered that. Like say Stephen King. This, right. Would Stephen King come up with an idea for a book, but not write the book and write the movie? Right, right. Good point. Uh, for games, I I do think so. I mean, it, it highly depends on what kind of game you're putting out. If you're putting out a visual novel, mm-hmm. like a nine 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 or you know whatever, uh, the the problem with you know trying to adapt that to another genre is because most of what makes to me you know the medium of a book what it is is descri- the the description of everything that's going around the person in addition to what the person's experiencing. True. So the description of the room he's sitting in, the description of the people who with whom he's speaking, um, all that stuff is visually presented to you in a video game and in a movie. And so in order to captivate you with words, the person has to write with a certain level of, I don't know what you want to call it. I don't want to say competence because that's that. I think that's different. But um, I think I understand um, just by um, comparison. <clears throat> You, you you kind of made me think of this because I'm playing Planescape. Yeah, they do that. Oh, I need to get that. They I have get that. they have the descriptions. Like when you go somewhere, and you uh, click on a person, and they describe what the person looks like, and they go into such detail, almost as if you were reading a book. And that's very descriptive. Like it really kind of immerses you into the world because it makes you imagine this person that's standing in front of you that has all these different you know blemishes and faults in their body is in in a planescape world and then you go into a place and you click on uh like a, a part i guess a, a part of like a the room that brings up the story because most of the time you click on like a a piece of 
furniture or something and it just tells you what the furniture is in a short description <clears throat> but when they tell you about like in detail it's it's wonderful and i guess right it's something that graphics kind of they take the place of like oh now i can right. see it. imagine uh how redundant it would be if you could see the person's face and then they're describing what the person looks like which is which is kind of what what uh what 999 does in a sense of like it 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 doesn't entirely rely on the graphics because it has a static scene but it also says stuff like uh Junpei leapt to his feet and th- and what XYZ was going through his head. He took a look around the room and saw this, that, and the other. And all you're presented with is, like, a static screen like Mist. So you don't see the animation of what's going on in the room. You just see, like, a still shot. Mm-hmm. And you, you you read about what he sees. Uh, and I guess the problem is the fact that it's localized from the Japanese. So you can never really truly tell how how riveting the actual words are. Or how, how riveting they were originally. Right. Um... The English translation is pretty good, but not novel good. It's pretty good in the sense that, like, okay, you know, they they really took the time to localize it. Um, they, you, you know what I mean, in in the sense that, you know, when people talk, like, aside from the occasional really bad grammatical errors, which I really can forgive because the rest of the game is really is done really well in in the regard of localization. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, one character excessively swears. But the way in which he swears sounds like what you'd hear out of a friend of yours who excessively swears. Not like Duke Nukem. Not I shouldn't say Duke Nukem. Not like um, not like Bulletstorm, where they're saying dick tits everywhere. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. It's 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 more like like if I were talking to you right now and I was a little bit exasperated at something that was going on, and I was like, "Dude, we just need to fucking get over there right now and and you know get the fucking shit and and get it done." All that swearing was unnecessary, but it's also not like super gratuitous, like video game fifteen-year-old script writing swearing. Right. It, it, it you makes know what I mean? sense when you read it. It feels not not now. Yes, it yeah. feels like something that someone would say. Right, and so that's the kind of good job that they did with the localization. But um, sometimes some of the descriptions are kind of like a high schooler wrote them, like. Like if if someone were to like die or something and his stomach got split open, or I'm just being gross here because the game gets kind of gross. Um, like they'll say like they they might say something. I'm trying to think here. Um, they might say something like, "Oh, his intestines spilled out like strands of uncooked sp- not uncooked. I'm sorry, like strands of cooked spaghetti." And it's like that's gross, but at the same time, it's a little juvenile. Yeah. Like there's 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 probably a better way to describe that. There's, it's and a then much it, better and a much scarier way to describe that. Probably right. There's like oh. S- uh, Burnt flesh was was splattered on the wall like like using just pizza. plain similes. Is, yeah, like like cooked. Yeah, like like tomato sauce, and it's just like that's right. That is like gross. Somebody but... just took a bottle of ketchup and sprayed yeah. it against the wall. <laughs> yeah, that's gross, but it's a little also a little silly. Yeah. Um, you know what? That's okay because I still was reading through stuff like that. I was like, ugh, I kind of want to fast forward to this. That's kind of gross. It was like, you know what? They achieved the desired effect, mm-hmm. just in a silly way. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Uh, yeah, it, it because it's an adventure game and it, there's so much text and um, all about uh, all of it is like about the multiple endings. Replaying through it can get kind of a get to be kind of a chore. Um, and also, it's like sometimes you're given decisions to make that don't necessarily affect the story where others do. So sometimes when you're replaying through the game. You start to think, oh, I should choose this answer differently. It'll change the outcome. And it doesn't really do that. And so when I was playing through it, I got the same ending twice mm-hmm. because I thought that some of the choices I was making were going to lead me to different endings, 
where really the only choices that matter are, uh, and I'm going to say this not to be a spoiler, but because it will save you a lot of frustration, anybody who's listening, and it's not really a spoiler. It's just the choices that really, really determine your ending are which doors you choose to go through throughout the game. It is not the dialogue choices that you pick, although you might still want to experiment with them because choosing different dialogue choices and answers changes how the people respond to you sometimes. So if you want to get a little bit of different dialogue out of them, you should feel free to change that, but don't go into it saying, oh, I'm going to choose the same doors, but I'm going to change the dialogue choices. No, you, <laughs> you get the same ending. <laughs> you want to change the doors. That, that's what you want to do to get the different endings, and you should probably sit there and do a map of like what the doors that you get to choose from and like figure out, okay, on this first playthrough, I'm going to go through these. On my second playthrough, I'm going to go through those. Um, so yeah, a little public service announcement for the 999 Council. Uh, do that. <laughs> um, but anybody, like I said, anybody who's in the mood for reading and anybody who's in the mood for something a little bit different, because I know visual novels aren't really big here in the States, yeah. um, and the, the first visual novel I really played was Lux Fucking Pain, which oh. was well, terrible. Well, what about Hotel Dusk? Uh, I... Well, would you not count that as a visual I... novel? You know what? That's a good question. I, I, I guess I'm getting a little bit technical here, but if, if I kind of take a look at the ratio of gameplay to reading... Like puzzles to re- like right. like Phoenix Wright would would technically be a vi- what might be a visual novel, but at the same time, ninety five percent of the time, the shit that you're reading has to do with the choices that you make. Uh, I, I mean, sorry, ha- has to has to do with the gameplay choices that you're going to make. Right. So it's not like you're just reading. Right. You're reading like, and playing the game by reading. Right. In this game, in nine nine nine, you could technically just ignore all the story <laughs> and just choose doors. Do the puzzle. Do the puzzles on their own, and us- there's usually like two puzzles per door, mm-hmm. so it's not like it's totally d- d- devoid of gameplay. But there's a lot of text. Like I said, there's a lot of text that doesn't drive the gameplay. It's just a story. Um, so like, it, like the clues that you get for your puzzles do not come from the text at all. I see. They do not come from the dialogue. Like, while you're in the puzzle room and you're trying to solve it, um, like, somebody might pipe up and say, hey, you picked up a key. It looks like that might fit into that hole. Yeah, but you that's know? contextual. Right. That That's super, like, within the puzzle itself. So mm-hmm. there's a very clear delineation of um, completely just story and then puzzling. That's it. Uh, like, if you're running down a hallway and the, the, the story's narrating to you, jumping around down the hallway following the others up the stairs, and then there came a fork in in the hallway... Uh, most of the time, it doesn't say you should go left or you should go right. It says it just says Junpei stopped for a second, thought about it, and then went left. Like it, oh, it tells so it was you out of your hands. It was he right. Was gonna mo- do it regardless. Right. Um. So yeah, I would. I I don't know if I consider Hotel Dusk a, a visual novel because a, a, it's largely like the entire time you are playing it in addition to reading it. Right. You're moving the character and you're talking yeah. to people. And that, I guess in nine nine nine, Junpei is navigating the story on his own and then you get to do puzzles not like you get to move the character around and choose who to speak to in an area you kind of story up to an area and then you choose to talk to people yeah yeah okay. exactly and and i guess again that maybe that's a bit too technical but the the general sensation that i got from it was that this is more a visual novel and other <clears throat> and other games are adventure games and, and lux pain itself was more of a visual novel type thing because you play like t- you played it very little 
<laughs> like the only gameplay of it was just like poking around with the stylus and trying to uncover these things and then, uh, like that, yeah, that's j- joining all that shit. Visual novel. And then like right, right, and then like the rest of it was all dialogue and like talking to people, and that's it. Mm. Uh, so, but PT has joined us, so let us bring him into the telephone call, and we will be right back in ninety minutes. Pete has joined us in the studio. Say hi, Pete. Da da da. Okay. Uh, I was just talking about nine nine nine, which I beat over uh, the weekend or the week, I guess. Um, but something new that I've been playing—not new, but going back to something that has that, that I played maybe a year and a half, two years ago, and then put away, and then never played again, and was about to sell until yesterday when I decided to play, it, give it one last go, and was like, I'm not selling this anymore. Uh, Geometry Wars Galaxies for the DS. Have either of you played Geometry Wars Galaxies either on the DS or the Wii? I haven't played Geometry Wars at all, actually. <coughs> I know it's blasphemous. But... I played it on the DS. <coughs> oh, you did? Yeah. I, so... I, I think I talked about it on this podcast. Low. You may have many hundreds of episodes ago, <laughs> uh, but I'm playing it now. You mean you uh, don't remember? Damn uh, it. Yeah. Man, I can't I'm remember sorry. what happened three hours ago. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but did, did you end up completing it? No. <laughs> um, I'm not very good at Geometry Wars. Oh. So um, the the main difference between Geometry Wars Galaxies and what and, – and, and I haven't played Geometry Wars 2 on the Xbox, so you guys can, can clarify for me. Well, maybe not Al since you said you've never played Geom- any Geometry Wars. Right. But, Pete, maybe you can clarify for me when I start to explain it. But the way that it works in Galaxies is, uh, first of all, you kind of hop between these planetoids or galaxies or whatever, <clears throat> and each one of them has a different shape. It's not all just rectangles. Um, so, like, some of them are shaped like circles, some of them are rectangles, some of them are, like, weird oblong shapes, uh, some of them have jagged walls, so it's, so they, they change things up like that. And each planet also has, I guess, a, unless I'm doing, uh, unless I did something wrong, or it's just a rare occasion, they seem to have different rules. Like, yesterday I was playing through a couple of planets, and one of them only gave me one life and no smart bombs. So, I don't know if that was just that one planet, or if every planet has a different role. I have to check it out when I <clears throat> when I start playing it again uh, today. But and then the other thing is that as you start to destroy enemies, you collect geoms, which which serve as currency in the game. So geoms do everything from unlocking uh, new planets to play on uh, and new galaxies to go into, which effectively are new planets or new drones to accompany you and that's another new thing about the game uh, about this uh, about the series is where you have these little drones that have different behavior <clears throat> depending on how you choose so right now I have an attack drone a defender drone um, a spiral or I don't know I don't know what they call it I'm just gonna call it the swirly drone um, <laughs> and the collector drone and what those four do is the attack drone obviously helps you attack the defend drone kind of like fends off enemies from you when they're about to hit you as best as it can obviously otherwise it'd be cheap um, 
the swirly drone kind of surrounds you like uh, like a Mega Man leaf shield, so it so it also kind of protects you. And the collector drone kind of like <clears throat> wanders out and collects geoms for you. So you know these drones have different behaviors. There are more that I can unlock. Like right now, that's locked. One of them that's locked I see is like a turret drone, which I assume like fires in an opposite direction or whatever. I don't know. But <clears throat> so you use these geoms to unlock drones, unlock planets, unlock galaxies. And as you play through the levels. Depending on what drone you use in that level, um, that drone gains experience. So throughout the game, like you can revisit the planets that you've already beaten multiple times, not only to get better medals, gold, silver, bronze, but to also power up your drones. So it like it gives you some incentive to kind of go back and play um, for more than just score, and that makes it a little bit interesting. Control-wise, um, it's a little bit iffy because you don't when you kind of lose sight of what you're doing on the touchscreen. It's kind of hard to know where you're aiming, or at least, <clears throat> or at least control where you're aiming where you want it to go. Because, like with an analog stick, there's only so far that you can push it in, in any direction. And with uh, with the stylus, like you you might be you might be uh, swinging the stylus to the right relative of where you currently are, and thinking that your your shots are going to go to the right. But in reality, even though you might be swiping to the right, you still might not be to the right of the center of the screen because you're not looking and you're not really, you know, thinking about it. So sometimes it kind of gets hitchy that way. Um, I'm assuming, though, that it still works a little bit better than using the Wii Remote um, because at least you have a surface to, to touch. Ooh. Um, <laughs> so what, what I started doing yesterday was I, I would... Um, I would change the gameplay to the touch screen because you could you could change it to the top screen or the bottom screen and choose to uh, play it with the D-pad and buttons or the D-pad and stylus. So it's totally customizable. Uh, so I put the gameplay on the bottom screen so I could see where I was putting my stylus. Uh, and in order to get around the problem of I am putting the stylus over what I am trying to see, I would I would just kind of keep the stylus uh, as as best as possible attached to the perimeter of the screen so that like. At any time, the stylus was not in the way of the gameplay, and my hand was kind of arched over the screen, so it wouldn't block it. Um, and that seems to be working out a little bit better. Uh, I'll have to judge for myself today when I'm traveling somewhere on the train, because I was falling asleep while I was playing yesterday. Mm. That's not the best way to judge it. So, But uh, I, I'm definitely glad that I have decided to keep it for the, for the time being until I beat it, because I just wasn't playing it. And I was like, I should just get rid of this. And then I started playing it, I'm like, no, no, I'm not going to give it to anybody. I'm going to keep it. Um, <laughs> I, I do think, though, that um, it's still best played on two sticks, um, sadly enough, um, because you still get the kind of sweeping uh, uh, quickness of of the of the analog nature of the aiming. Because I mean, it, as a dual stick shooter, you know, you're only worried about like the like up, down, left, right, and everything in between. You're not worried about 3D movement, and so the analog stick is definitely sufficient for that. Not like a first person shooter. Um, and again, there's there's more tactile feedback of where you're aiming with an analog stick, and it's harder to mess up. Uh, Pete, with Geometry, did you play Geometry Wars 2? No. Oh. Okay, so then none of us know <laughs> what Geometry Wars 2 is like. Um, but uh, since our our friend Al uh, has finished his pizza... What have you played? Oh, that's all? you only been playing two games? Just those two, yeah. I actually played more than one game this week. Oh! Because it was two weeks. Ha ha ha. Oh! Um... As usual, I've been playing Dragon Quest V. Um, da, 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 da. Near the end, uh, the story is actually really okay. <laughs> I'm not what? gonna say really okay. I'm not gonna say really good because, um, you know, when you think it about it, it was serviceable. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it wasn't like you know how most of the Dragon Quests are. You gotta save the world, blah 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 blah. Which you know, I mean, that's just fucking Dragon Quest. And right. Dragon Quest V is no different. <clears throat> The way it guides you through the story and the things that happen 
it's almost similar to what happens in Chrono Trigger, but not as drastic as Chrono Trigger, because Chrono Trigger was some serious shit in terms of what happens to Chrono throughout his adventure. He has a sex change? Yeah, pretty much. Um, ah! And he becomes Krona. Anyway. Krona. Yeah, Krona. Krona Trigger. So, um, you know, like I said before, this game goes through the life of your main character, starting out when he's born, and then it, um, it basically, the, the birth scene ends as a dream for the six-year-old main character, who then follows his father around and things like so that. So every, every man's dream ends with a vagina? Let's not. Get the way you describe the birth scene. Well, like, no, wait. It, 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 he was born, and there. I don't want to. I mean, granted, it's like the first like <laughs> okay. two minutes of the story. I don't want to reveal that. But your character is born, and then they say, you know, it's a healthy boy. Blah 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 blah. So no vagine. No, obviously they're not gonna. Oh, <laughs> it's not a first person adventure game. It's nice. I like. Ew. So, then you follow your father around, and you do stuff with your father, and then stuff happens in the story, and then it transports you to when you're 16, and you're doing stuff again, and the the game moves on to, um, you know, the natural progression of life for a growing boy and man. Uh, He meets a girl, he gets married, and has kids. And granted, that's all kind of like basic shit. And you'd be like, well, why is it so good? Because, uh, you know, it's just, it's like almost like a sim game at that point. Although it's not because it's not like you have to simulate living the life of a husband and father. Well, I, I'd imagine it be, it's, be, it's simply because it brings you closer to that character. It's kind of like Heavy Rain, where you wake up and you take a leak. Ooh, bi- you know, big deal. Right, but, but it connects you with the character. It con- right, it, it brings you closer. Right, and, it, and then it, that type of stuff then further connects you with the character when things happen to the character and his family. <laughs> and um, then you, then the whole world-saving aspect comes into play because all this time, ever since, you know, the start of the game, the world since has been possibly threatened, but then it was clearly threatened. And now I'm at a point, I think I'm near the end of the game because I have um, uh, basically found the the same thing that I found at the end of Dragon Quest Four, you know, because this is it, it actually makes sense. It actually kind of does seem like it's a trilogy, uh, if you want to put into consideration that the same elements from Dragon Quest Four are in Dragon Quest Five. But the thing about it is that um, it seems like Dragon Quest Five happens hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of years in the future. Oh, okay, and the world changes. Because the the whole layout of the world, I, I haven't really compared the two maps, but I'm pretty sure that the layout of the world in in Dragon Quest V is drastically different than the layout of the world in Dragon Quest IV. Um, <clears throat> but the the same castle in the sky is in five, except it's not in the sky anymore at this point. Oh, okay, in, so you know, it's, from the beginning of the game, it then, is it has descended. It has reached puber is reached puberty and descended. Wait, no, no, <laughs> testicles descend much before that. Never mind. Yeah. Uh, so then after you go through all that and you, you get to the castle and things like that, then, um, you start getting up to this point where, okay, it's time to save the world, it's time to do the thing. Um, and that's where I am now, like 29 hours and a little bit, like where I finished Dragon Quest Four. but I'm thinking that I'm going to be investing another 15 hours into this game because since this was a translation of a Super Nintendo game, mm-hmm. uh, they have more space to work with, so I'm assuming that this is a 40-hour game as opposed to a 30-hour game. 
Gotcha. Or even a 20-hour game, which I'm, I think Dragon Quest Four was originally a 20-hour game, then they added the extra chapter. Um, so that's that. Hopefully I'll say I finished the game by next week. Uh, that's all I had to say about that. That's my um, that's my goal. I'm hoping to finish it before the 3DS comes out. And yes, I'm still debating. I was talking whether with to... Austin earlier whether to get it or not. I have the money. I just don't know whether I want to get it. I, I mean, I think at this point, like you're, you, ha- I mean, what would you gain by not getting it and getting just a DS Lite instead? You know what I mean? Oh, I, I mean, I guess that, that wasn't even. I I, I brought up that possibility. That was just kind of like a, a give up possibility. I'm not gonna do that. I'm either gonna get it. or I'm not gonna get anything at all. Okay. Okay. Then yeah. Yeah. Um. So, just a couple of quick things before I talk about the main thing I want to talk about is uh, I tried to play Darksiders. And I'm very irritated with that game because I actually didn't get to play it. Uh, I just want to look at my Steam to see how long it says I played the game. Uh, I have played the game for nine minutes. And out of Uh-oh. those nine minutes, most of that time was spent in the menu. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I actually spent about three seconds in the game. And this is why. There is no uh, pad support, really, for this game. The only game, the only gamepad that it supports is the Xbox 360 controller. Oh, I was gonna say there is. Then, then okay, so, so oh, because you don't have a wired 360 controller, right? I don't have a wired 360 controller, and uh, well, I do, but it's it's the Street Fighter controller, which only has one pad, and right. you can't play Dark Sides with one pad. Um, also, on top of that, using my pad, the buttons are completely rearranged, and there's no way to change the buttons. <laughs> Finally, this is the retail version. Yeah, the Steam version. Well, not, well I don't know. If you what, what, what I meant, what I meant by that was, was, was. I'm sorry. Uh, full version, not demo. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This is. Uh, I got this during the uh, Christmas sale. I think I got it for like five bucks or ten bucks or something like that. And right, right after you got it. Um, when you get into the game using the, I'm using the Logitech Cordless Rumble Pad Two, which has worked wonders for every other game I've played except for this. Mm-hmm. When you actually load the game, it pans the camera to the ground. <laughs> and everybody's complaining about that. Like people all over the boards, all over T not THQ site, but um the um the site of the people who make the game. I forget who makes the game. But that those their forums and the Steam forums are just people livid with the fact that you can't play with the keyboard and mouse unless you disconnect everything from the computer and possibly right. even use a PS two keyboard and mouse, um, as opposed to a USB. Because whenever you have something that even slightly resembles a gamepad, it goes, oh, you're using a three Xbox 360 controller. And, <laughs> and then people are trying to like come up with, um, there's some kind of software patch that allows you to emulate the 360 controller with like the Logitech. And I tried to download and install that, and it crashed the game whenever I tried to run it. So I'm, I threw that out. Huh. And so... I don't want to have to buy a 360 controller just to play this game. Sure. Especially when I have, like, three 360 controllers right now, although one of them belongs to an Xbox that I'm going to sell. So I have two 360 controllers, and only two people in the house. <laughs> so I'm I'm pretty much set there. So I don't know. I'm pissed off at that game. Uh, I was playing some Marvel vs. Capcom 3 this morning. I was playing the mission mode, which uh, it's almost like a, like a training mode, except... They don't tell you how to play the game. Uh, basically, right. <laughs> yeah, basically, mission mode is they they challenge you to do moves and combos. 
and we do the combo, you clear it. It's almost like Virtual Fighter 4 and 5. They do the same thing, except with Virtual Fighter 4 and 5, they actually kind of tell you how to play the game. They actually show you what the moves are and how to do the combo that they want you to do. But in Marvel vs. Capcom 3, they don't show you shit. So it starts out easy. Like, I did Wolverine and I did Deadpool. Wolverine right. starts out, do a Berserker Barrage. Do a Tornado Claw. Right, yeah, that that was what I was complaining about, how like they don't seem to be doing a good job of teaching you how to play. They're just like, yo, well, the mission do what mode I'm isn't a tutorial. It's that's actually a different part of the game outside of training. Like it's under training, oh, okay, not, okay. not under training, but basically in the list, it's offline Xbox training and admission. So it's not a training mode. It's just an extra mode. But uh, even so, for example, they I there are ten missions for each character. The first, like, three or four are simple. You have to just do the special moves. But then they have you doing combos. Like, um, you know, with Wolverine, it was like, do a combo that includes... And so they just tell you, like, do... No, they actually give you the combo. But the description of the combo is, say, do a combo that includes a ground bounce. Do a combo that includes a wall bounce. Do an air combo. And then they give you the moves for the specific combo that they want you to do. And Uh basically, that's five, six, and seven, five, six, seven, and eight. Um, eight sometimes is kind of hard. Like Deadpool's mission eight, I couldn't do, and that's when I stopped. But I <laughs> got up to um, Wolverine's mission nine. I did nine and ten, and it was ridiculous. I mean, it, literally for me, it was like learning a guitar solo because I had to take like the first part and just kind of know that, and then after I kind of know the first part without thinking about it, I go to the next part. But I do the next part alone. So, for example, if it's an air combo where you have to do like light, medium, light, medium, hard. And uh, special. So light, medium, light, medium, hard, special. Gotta remember that. Light, medium, light, medium, hard, special. Then, after the special, you gotta go, let's see, what Wolverine it was, uh, medium, medium, hard, special. So now I have to go do special, jump up in the air, medium, medium, hard, special. So, so it's 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 uh, so we get it. It's basically like a lot of memorization without, and, and they expect you to kind of go into this stuff again without an appropriate training mode. Ex- well, right, and they they expect you to go into this knowing how to play the game, knowing how to do moves, right. and they have the move list there, and they do do some kind of incorporation where, uh, say, they for Wolverine, as an example, they teach you how, not teach you, but as one of the missions, you have to do um, a drill claw and then a dive kick right after it, and then a lot of the other combos include drill claw, dive kick. Right. Uh, one of the combos was like light, medium, uh, light, medium, light. Light, medium, light, medium, hard, drill claw, forward, dive, kick down, medium, hard, special, go we, up okay, the air. We got, we got it. We <laughs> well, got I, I'm it. just, we got I have it. to tell you the whole thing <laughs> because of the, uh, because of how complex the solo is. I mean, the solo. Not the <laughs> guitar solo. But just to finish that, just using that as an example, um, after you go in the air, you go medium, medium, hard, special, and you go down, and then it's pull out your, your, Partner two, which in this case is Hulk, and he does the the ground gamma wave, and you have to time that with your Berserker Barrage X, and then you cancel the Berserker Barrage X with an X Factor and do a Weapon X. That's the last one. I couldn't do it. I, I the only reason why I couldn't do it is because I couldn't get the timing down properly between pulling out Partner two and doing the Berserker Barrage X. And it, it's always ten objectives. Yeah, ten per character. Okay. Um, what do you get? An achievement or a costume or maybe a costume? I don't know. I never finished it. I, it's an achievement. I'm never ever touching that. I doubt it. I, I don't know. Um, I wish I could have told you. <laughs> um, and uh, 
I I played some Donkey Kong Country Returns with Evelyn, and that game is getting kind of tough, but I think we might finish it if I can bring myself to play it. Uh, I played the demo for Kamiden, and it's... Oh, right! I, I played that, like, Thursday or something like that, and it was weird, because I'm, you know, I'm used to playing Okami on the, the Wii and everything like that, and the way that Okamiden is kind of different is that you're using the pad and the buttons to control, um, the Chibia, I forget, it was Chibia, I'm not Ted of, bah, Chim, whatever, the little fucking fox, I can't even remember his name, so I'm not gonna try. Um, and you use the pad and the buttons to control them, but then you hold LR, press LR to get to the brush menu and you do the brush strokes. Um, doing it outside of battle was okay, but going into battle, I couldn't actually efficiently finish the battle. You know, I, you played Okami, right, Austin? Yeah. And Pete, did you play Okami? Not much of it. Uh, but you've been into a fight. You know that, like, when you do a fight, they rate you on how fast you kill the enemies. I forgot about that part. Uh, well, they rate you, like, on how fast you kill the enemy and... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and something else. Do you know about how they do this to you? No. Well, they do this to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, might as well. Shit. Um, and then in, in Okami Dan, they rate you on how well you use your partner, which they didn't teach you about in the tutorial, so whatever. I'm pretty okay. sure that that's something that's that makes it a little bit more complex, but uh, that would be an interesting game to play. Like, I think I might wind up getting it later on in the year. And uh, just my final game that I will talk about probably for two minutes is Planescape Torment. Which oh, I need to start is that. Pretty damn good game. Um, I actually went and I was absorbing myself into the character. And you, know, you start out the game, you have to find this guy, and you have to find your journal so you can figure out what the hell's going on because you are an amnesiac and you just wake up like in a morgue. Just to loosely say, you wake up in a morgue, and uh, that's just how you start. And there's this like head talking to you, you're like, well, skull. Oh, morte. Yeah, oh, Morte, and his uh, litany of curses. And you basically go from there. You don't know anything. You wake up in a, in a morgue, and you had these tattoos on your back to tell you that you have to go find this guy in this journal. So I'm walking around trying to figure stuff out, find out where this guy is, and I'm like there, getting ready to meet the guy, and I don't know what's going to go on. I don't know if it's some dude who I got to fight or if he's going to reveal like everything to me, and I'm really kind of like looking forward to meeting this guy so I can figure out what the hell's going on. It's almost like the end of the game, but the beginning of a new game. So I finally get to him, and uh, I was all, like, nervous, thinking I was going to have to fight. And I didn't... I I went through dialogue choices such that I didn't have to fight, because uh, I don't know. Um, you said you never got to him, right, Austin? Uh, not that I remember. Okay. Um, but now I have to do something for him in order to find out what the hell is going on with me. Because when you, when you talk to him, he, like, talks to you like, Hey, you're back? <laughs> Damn, you never go away. <laughs> I'm like... Wow, okay, he remembers me. I'm thinking there's going to be some guys like, who the hell are you? And why are you bothering me today? Yeah, no, they do a very good job of that, as far as I remember, of just, you know, like, even when you die, um, unless I'm remembering wrong, like, the way they handle death is not just like, okay, you're dead, now you got to start over from the save point, or you wake back up. Oh, that's, right. Like, you die, and it's just like, they're they're just like, ha, look at you, you're back here again. Yeah. Like, ah, uh, dumbass. And, like, they, they, it's part of the experience. Like, mm-hmm. it, I don't know. There's yeah. some parts of the game that you kind of have to die in because uh, you, <clears throat> you kind of get memories back when you die. When you die, right, right. Uh, so. And that, reading the manual on that part really intrigued me because um, they say, yeah, you can die, but, uh, no, and it says, they, can, they can't kill you, but they can eat you. <laughs> so there's certain situations where you do die and it's game over, like if you go crazy. 
Uh, you right. can't really come back from that. Or if you get buried alive, or if you get stuck or imprisoned somewhere, you possibly there you cannot possibly escape. And then there are oh, if you fight a godlike being or something that is so powerful that that you cannot recover from your wounds. I I was just like oh, I gotta play this fucking game because. Yeah, it's it's very much like it's very it's a very interesting take on the consequence of death. Mm-hmm. Like I know we had that conversation before um, when Peter Molyneux had that whole thing about like, oh yeah, they kick the shit out of you and you look like crap for oh, the rest yeah. of the game, and people didn't like that. It's like, well, that's a consequence, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah, um, and see, the I think that what makes this different from that situation that makes it not so much a consequence. Excuse me. Is that you don't lose anything through death? Um, right. When you die, you just basically go back to the mortuary where you started. It can be argued that you gain something. Sometimes, so yeah, you do gain yeah. something. And uh, I thought that that was really cool. I like that a lot. So hopefully next week I'll have some more to talk about, but I probably won't have much more detail since, uh, you know, I don't want to spoil anything. It's a great game that has theme music that sounds like a Predator theme song. <laughs> I forgot. I have to go back and listen. Yeah, you got to listen to it. Actually, I think I have the soundtrack as part of getting the game. Oh, right. That's what good old games is cool about. Like, they give you a soundtrack, and sometimes they give you, like, wallpapers and shit. Mm-hmm. That, that was available with it, too. Avatars and shit. Well, the avatars of a site. That's all. That's all I've been playing. Pity. Yes. Why you play? Uh, nothing worth mentioning since... Oh, Like, nothing worth more talking about than Paxis, so... Alright. Well, we do have one quick thing. Um, it is a question from Edu. Twitter did in. So... Question for the show. Do you feel all these shows are turning into the same thing, like GDC having press when it's supposed to be mostly strictly, that's spelled S-T-R-I-C-K-L-Y, that's a T there, not a K, buddy, uh, a developer-focused event? Um, he asked that because I mentioned that we're going to be talking about PAXIS. Top PAXIS, right. No, no, I, I, yeah, I, I, I can uh, deduce that. Um, <clears throat> you can, but our audience might not. They can't because they won't. And all the power lies in us. No, I say, uh, I mean, I, all the, most of these shows are the same thing to begin with. Except GDC, Dice are strict are are, are developer events, um, and the press is there to cover them from a perspective of this is what's kind of going on in the industry. And unfortunately, yes, the uh, you know the publishers are like, you gotta get a a, a GDC demo out there, and it's like, why? Because GameSpot's gonna be there. Is Giant Bomb's going to be there? Okay, fine, I guess so. But then, like, yeah, I, I, I'm a, I think the sentiment uh, with this question is, like, dude, why? Like, why why are they turning all these things into E3s and stuff like that? But I, I don't, judging from what I've heard from podcasts and other people who actually go to these events, while they do kind of have the whole showy, like, oh, we have games, um, I don't think it's the same thing. Still, because there's a heavy emphasis on, you know, developer-oriented panels where they discuss shit about how to improve their, you know, their work-life balance, their developmental tactics and, and engines that come out and all that stuff. You don't get that. I don't. I, I really don't think you get that at E3. E3 is E3, TGS, uh, what's the other one in Germany? Games, uh, Gamescom? Games or whatever? Um, yes. Those things are strictly like, yo, these are keynote speeches. These are presentations telling you how well we did and how much ass we're kicking. You know, these are bar graphs. Uh, this is this is stuff for investors and 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 our buyers like GameStop and, and and Best Buy. So like they still maintain a semblance of difference. I think the only thing that we really see that we think it's similar is the fact uh, that it's covered the same way by the press. Oh, here are games. Here's a new release date for a game. Um, 
And with PAX, I think it's vastly different because it's open to the public all three days, and a lot of it's about tournaments and cosplaying and stage rock band and, like, just, like, you know, hanging out. And, yes, the press is there, and, yes, there's an exhibition floor, but I feel like there's there's a lot of stuff that's that's still kind of going on around it. So, again, it seems similar from a press perspective, from what we see on websites, but when you're actually there, I think it's different. Like, Pete, Al, you both went to E3. Uh, I'm sure you can vastly differentiate your experiences between E3 and PAX, right? Yeah. Elaborate. <laughs> oh. Um, go ahead, Al. <laughs> oh, I, I was going to say you go first. But uh, basically, let's see, E3 2004 was essentially just a bunch of, you know, vendors showing off their shit. Uh, you go into the floor and... It looks almost like, um, remember when we went, I mean, it, it was something like this at PAX as well. Uh, a whole bunch of developers on a, on the floor, like where Power Gig was and the, the new Behemoth game, which still hasn't come out. And, um, uh, that Slam Bolt Scrappers, which just came out on PSN last week or this week, I should say. It it was on the show floor. They, and I was like, I was like, didn't we see it last year? Oh, it was on the show floor this year too? Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Like the the week right after, I yeah, guess maybe I guess, they I wanted guess it to was keep like it one... alive and say, yeah. Yo, "Hey, guess what? Our game's coming out next week. Can't play." It. Remember this from last year? Mm-hmm. We're done. Yeah. Um. The it's basically just that, and then a whole bunch of people walking around different places, and uh, there isn't anything like how at PAX where you have uh participation by the people who come to the show. It's essentially just well, this is how it was in 04. I'm pretty sure that you know ever since. Uh, what year was that? Was it 07 or 08 when they really condensed it and it was yeah. like out of a warehouse or some shit? Um, it there's no like rock band stage type of thing where you can kind of hang out. You can hang out, but you're basically just sitting in the area where people are just walking by. Um, right. there isn't like an opportunity to gather with other people to do a particular activity other than like wait in line for something that's a common like oh everybody's waiting in line for street fighter the new street fighter is coming out and they want to try it out uh oh gabe and taiko are here let's uh go meet them the line is freaking four hours long um uh what else what else I feel, I feel like the differentiator between between the two is convention versus trade show e3 uh, TGS, those things are trade, trade shows. shows. Mm-hmm. Yeah, although TGS is open to the public. And I don't know about TGS, maybe they have panels and shit. I've never heard of a panel come out of TGS, but mm-hmm. plenty yeah. of panels in GDC, DICE, and... And E3. Panels at E3? Panels it, yeah, there are some panels. Oh, I did not know that. But what kind of panels, not, though? Uh, I mean, I don't even know if I attended any. Because I, th- I think the content of those panels is very important, where I would assume that panels at E3 would be about, well, how awesome were your sales this year? Right, and you know G- what? Honestly, I think that the they're not really panels like how in um uh, in packs they were like Q and A sessions and things like that. I think it was more like just all the press conferences and things like that. That's what I'm thinking about, like the Nintendo, Sony, Microsoft. Oh yeah, those like those aren't even panels. EA. Those those yeah. are not panels. Those, those are, are just just press, just press conferences. And like the packs ones in particular are like th- this isn't just about like speed tree. This is about hey come. Listen to developers talk about, you know, what it's like to do something or 
Yeah, or like there was a happen, panel, yeah. there was a panel on feminism in games, or like there was just one panel I attended with uh with uh uh, Chris, uh not Crescente, Tatillo and and Guy Kroll, where they were talking about how do we put together a list of the top ten games of all time? Well, let's play a game with all the developers and industry veterans out there, and like you know we just have this top ten list, and every person who participates gets one move, mm-hmm. you know, and so it's it's very like. It's much more community oriented or or player oriented, whereas like the GDC ones, where again where they talk about speed tree, <laughs> are probably more useful for you know developers. And the the stuff that you hear at trade shows are more or less here's what we've got going on. Here's why our bar graph is better than their bar graph. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm Reggie. I'm out, bitches. Basically, <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, uh, again, I, I have to rely on your you guys' uh, assessments of E3. But I mean, Pete, is that p- pretty much your experience of being there? That it was mostly like completely trade show oriented, whereas PAX is, you know, and th- this is again, I'm guessing, so I'm I'm interested to find out your opinion. Yes, I would say E3 is about you know meetings, media, and marketing. I mean, that's what it is. M3. Yeah. Um, Very good. I see what you did there. And GDC or shows like that are about, you know, like like not to try more alliteration, but it's just about uh, the developers and collaboration and like, you know, uh, designers, you know, sharing their skills with each other. Uh, then PAX kind of tries to bring in elements of both because like PAX has panels that are more akin to something you'd probably see at GDC. But then it has the expo floor, which is sort of similar to something you'd see at E3, obviously on a much smaller scale. Um but those are just small portions of packs because, like, you know, then it's got the whole just big gaming thing, you know, tabletop gaming. Like oh, said, right. It's got, yep. it's got the cosplayers. It's got the retro arcade, the console free play, PC free play. So PAX tries to be, like, everything, um, but more definitely more focused on gaming, uh, like, just actual, like, you know, public uh, participation in gaming than it is the, like, media stuff or other, other things. So, no, I don't think all the shows are com- becoming similar. I think the only reason that Edge, you might feel that way is because of media presence at all of these. Right, right, um, and, I, and I do agree with that, that kind and, of sentiment. Yeah, and what you see coming out of things like GameSpot, Giant Bomb, IGN, it does all seem the same because those guys focus on what's on the show floor, like the expo floor and stuff like that. So then it just does all seem to be the same. Um, I mean, attend these things, and I, I feel you you definitely would see a difference. In, right. Um, yeah, so that's how I feel about it. Yeah. We'll, we'll put it this way. I, I, I feel like at this point, I would, and, and this uh, maybe this illustrates the difference, but I would never want to attend E3 now that I've been to a PAX. I would never want to attend E3. I would want to attend PAX. I, would, I want to I, attend a GDC. <laughs> I, I would attend a GDC or a DICE because I'd be interested to see those talks and, yeah. and, and you know what those are made of. And E3 kind of offers none of that. E3 is totally stuff that I get pumped about, but I can get through the internet. Right. Yeah. I can get that information because that's it's all just information. There's nothing in the experience for it. Plus, I'm just over waiting in fucking lines. <laughs> yeah. Uh, to- oh God. Totally. Oh, that's another problem. Um, yeah. You, you don't really get that. I mean, granted, in packs you have um, <clears throat> actually. <laughs> well, in packs as as just a regular attendee, you have to you know, be herded through lines and things like that. But there's still a greater sense of freedom in packs. Right, because that's not necessarily what you're there for. Well, yeah, and on top of that, like in E3, I was there as an as, as an exhibitor, meaning I had free uh, reign yeah, of true. everywhere. I didn't have to worry about waiting in line to see anything. 
Right. But Jerk. if you I do was... kind of see that happening at PAX now too with exhibitors. I mean, exhibitors are understandable, but like media definitely, you know, getting the uh, sometimes special special treatment over the you know regular attendee, mm-hmm. right? Where they all get pushed <clears> off <throat> of uh, kiosks for so media can get on. I mean, it's happened to me not this year at PAX, but last year. Um, so. Yeah, I mean that that's kind of becoming a problem for PAX. But yeah, keep going. Sorry. What'd you what'd you get pushed off of? Just curious. Uh, it was it wasn't even anything important. Uh, uh that you know Desiree and I were there last year, 2010. To uh, we uh, we saw Lord of the Rings online at the Turbine booth, and I have a friend. Actually, it's funny because I have a friend who works there. Uh, it's the guy that I used to write for his website that got me to E3 back in 2005. Um. And so he was demoing. I, I don't really care about Lord of the Rings Online, but Desiree had never seen it or heard of it. So I had him show her a demo. And in the middle of the demo, from my friend, this other guy comes up and kicks us all off so that the media can get on. Oh, mm. like you gotta go, you gotta go. Yeah. Great. Whoops. Um. Well, what I was um, mentioning about that was when you are press at E3, you are basically equivalent to an attendee at PAX. Right, exactly. <laughs> so um, you have to wait in all those lines, and you have to... You can only get in at a certain time. Like, as an exhibitor, I got in, like, an hour early, and I was there when people were setting up, and I was just running around playing stuff. Like, I played uh, Time Splitters 2, and there was no one there. And I looked at the Metal Gear Solid 3 um, uh, te- teaser trailer before everybody else. Did it make you cry? I didn't give a shit. um and and it was it was cool like having that benefit especially since i wasn't working because normally uh you know the people who like exhibitor like who were coming from my job they had to stay at the booth and i just visited the booth said what's up and like you know checked the other booths in the area and left yeah uh it's it's funny to 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 actually it's not like it's a surprise but it's funny to actually now sit down and say those words uh when you are a press member at e3 you are only an attendee. You don't get to skip lines. You don't get to do any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, unless you make appointments. And then yeah. you get behind closed doors stuff, but you have to make appointments. You know? yeah, and you got to have the connections. Right. Oh, um, I remember but, Final Fantasy Eleven was like, I think it was just coming out at that time or something like that. Or No, no, it was out. They were uh, promoting an expansion. And they had some big closed door event. Nobody could go in. <laughs> but there was right. a line down the hall, like down the entire line for people going to check out the expansion. It was weird. There was a line down the line. Line down the line. Um, yeah, but I mean, that's a great segue to get into our next topic, which was just about packs. And so we're going to take a short three day break and be right back. The dead. The dead ain't got to worry about this mess. Our world, she's done. But there's a way to put it back together. So better get ready, because mother only knows what's out there floating on the rocks. Beasts what don't know up from down. Fragments of the old world. You bring them back. And together, we're going to build something grand. And remember, you ain't in this alone. That's a promise. All right, we are back, and we are going to talk Paxicity. Uh, Pax happened uh, 
depending on when this goes up, it's most likely going to be have been like two weeks ago. But uh, PAX happened uh, from the 11th to the 13th. Is that right? Yeah, 11th yeah. to the 13th. Um, I mean, 10th if you want to count pre-PAX. Yeah, stuff, that wasn't really – no. Um, to me, that was PAX. wasn't PAX. Um, <laughs> nah, it wasn't PAX. wasn't PAX. Uh, oh, you and, can't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> he was as an objective observer. Actually, he could totally say more than we can because we were there and we we're intoxicated by the fumes of alcohol. But um, so PAX is from Friday to, to Sunday. For those who inexplicably don't know what PAX is, it's basically it's the Penny Arcade Expo. The guys from Penny Arcade put it on, and it's just games. You know, they have games at an exhibition floor. They have a rock band stage. They have tabletop gaming everywhere. Uh, that's where Pete discovered the legendary zombie dice from last year's packs. Um, they have panels where they talk about, you know, different aspects of making games or just, you know, uh, a way to connect to the community. Uh, they have this gigantic tournament called the Omegathon where uh, I think they spring games on you randomly, right? Yes. Yeah. One of the games there was Ikaruga, and I was so mad that I didn't get to, like, <laughs> watch it because this was what we were That was the leaving. actual final game. That was the final round. Oh, it was final? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, that would have been an awesome game to do a final. Uh so yeah, it's basically like we were saying before. It's kind of like, kind of like E3, kind of like GDC, where everybody gets to go in. Um, and so I drove up with Maurice, uh, who you may remember from last week's uh, last week, last That's year's PAX cast. <laughs> yeah, last year's PAX cast. Everyone loves dinosaurs. dot com. Uh, and Megu, uh, who actually this year uh, she's still fragdoll cadetting, and and they kind of lent her out to Bethesda. To, uh, they 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 let a few fragdoll cadet or some certain types of people out to Bethesda to do like demos, and so she was demoing uh, what is it called? Hunted the Demons Forge uh, for 360. I'm glad you remembered the name because I wasn't going to. <laughs> uh, I remembered it because I looked up Hunted and Bethesda up on Google. Oh, um, I knew it was Hunted, uh, which is basically a, a third person. I, I think it's cover based. I don't fucking know. A third person action game that's kind of like, I guess, kind of like Counter Strike in set in a high fantasy setting or a low fantasy setting or whatever. Bows and arrows and dragons and shields and shit. Um, I wonder what low fantasy is. I, I don't know. I think it's just less dragons and more dwarves. I don't fucking know. <laughs> they they have an explanation on Wikipedia. It, it actually explains it, but I forgot what they said because I was just like, this is too low much. Low fantasy, I, I think, is just like like more dirt dirt and grime and like... Dirt you know, and grime. Just like, almost like... Possi- almost as if the the apocalypse happened in the fantasy world, kind of thing or something. Mm. Like, because I think I think Lord of the Rings is considered like high fantasy because it's all like lush and green, and I mean, except for well, I mean, like you know, like big epic set pieces and things like that. I think low fantasies try tries to be more. I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. I'm talking on my ass right now, so keep going. Low. Uh, this is a a tangent that I have to uh kind of uh complete. Let's see. Uh. Low fantasy works typically place relatively less emphasis on such fantasy elements like magic, monsters, and non-real literary devices. So, like, uh, maybe that would be like King Arthur. I uh, guess the story of King Arthur. I mean, there's no dragons um, or anything in King Arthur. Right, and that that's why LOTR is uh is high. So I, I I'm guessing I don't know. They they list Shadowrun as a low fantasy game. Uh, so uh, yeah, and Shadow Hearts apparently. I don't know. I have Shadow Hearts. I should play that. <laughs> uh, but Thursday before pass began, so we were driving up the four of us in the car, and we made it to the Brattle Theater where they had the gigantic rock band party, and uh, Giant Bomb was there to do the judging for the rock band. And as Pete has mentioned in the past, the rock band nights at the Boston Improv are are judged for fun. You know, they don't have to give you a nine out of ten. They can give you a penis out of ten if they wanted to, <laughs> and they have. Uh. 
And so, like, it was just a gigantic stage. Um, well, Pete, you know what? You talk about it because you were there for longer than we were. A lot longer. And you actually got to go up and play, right? Yeah, I mean, like, I was there, like, before they started and, like, while they were setting up and stuff. And, uh, yeah, it the normal Improv Boston rock band night is a very small comedy club th- setting. Uh, you know, like, what, like, maybe a stage that's, like, three, in- or not three, uh, three feet off the ground, maybe at most. Uh, and it's just a much more like i don't know like group atmosphere in the in the comedy club this was at a theater where they like uh this theater shows a lot of old uh movies like um a lot of classics like wizard of oz and like actually before rock band night they were showing uh the sci-fi classic heavy metal um which uh, it looks like a playhouse that's how big it is yeah exactly and so a big stage yeah exactly it's got a it's got a balcony area for seating and stuff and uh yeah like you said it's like a playhouse or like you know like just an old style theater um and so the stage is uh definitely uh i think well over six feet off the ground probably um because i mean well maybe not no because i guess when you stand up close to it my head it wasn't going above my head no 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 it was like it must have been like four and a half or so four and a half or something like that okay so the one at improv boston must only be like two feet off the ground at most because right. i'm really bad at sizes um but not not just the ground link but also the how deep it is that's true too yeah i mean like uh definitely goes back they had a huge projection screen in the back uh they had to actually rope it off with some caution tape because they were worried about people like backing up into it and you know <laughs> damaging this expensive equipment uh this this one actually had uh you know hgtv set into like the fr- foreground of the stage so while you're playing you can look down um and uh like it just felt like you know it really gave the the whole rock band impression of being you know a rock band on stage type of right, thing right right uh, and so yeah I went up and played with some friends uh, friends that I knew from from Improv Boston um and uh, you guys didn't get to see it but there's pictures of it up online and you know like I put this guy Ali who dressed up in his unicorn costume and apparently fucking was just hanging free down below <laughs> and I didn't realize it and I guess at one point his balls must have rubbed up against my back because there's like a picture of it out there what? Um, <laughs> I was wearing a, a, a vest as part of like from the costume section so at least it didn't actually rub up on me it rubbed on the vest they rubbed on the vest so like I didn't even know what happened uh, I why, just, well why was he in a position for his balls to rub up against you in the first place because he's fucking insane this is the Star Trek guy which so actually he, no, some I know. you may have yeah. seen the meme going around about the Star Trek guys dancing to connect from packs uh, yeah that's this guy Ali that I know from Rockman oh jeez um, uh, so he was on your back well, like, okay, so at the, <laughs> at the at the rock finale of our song, like, I dropped to my knees, you know, was rocking out, and then he came up behind me and was just, like, you know, standing, rocking out behind me, and, like, I guess just did, a, like, a little bit of a pelvic thrust in my general direction, and uh, you'll see on the picture that I'm down there, like, I would want to see and, it in the picture. And he's behind <laughs> me, and, and then there's this weird shape in the picture that definitely seems like a uh, sack against my back. That is unacceptable, but awesome because it, it, it didn't happen to us. It wasn't my shirt. That's what I'm saying. Like, if it was my clothes, I'd be like, ah. But it was just uh, their costume thing, which is funny because, uh, I mean, I guess he was freeballing inside one of their costumes. So <laughs> I feel bad for whoever wore that costume later. Um, But anyway, uh. Yeah, and then so, you know, like, the the Giant Bomb guys are up on the left side. Well, like, depending – okay, if you're looking at the stage, it's the right side of the stage. Uh, so, you know, we, like, you kind of got a chance to molest them while you're playing. Um, I, I really don't – I'm not into the whole, like, rubbing up on the judges thing. So, like, I let uh, Ali with his free ball and take care of that. Yeah, that's a little um, – that's too much. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
but yeah, then uh, after after your set's done, you go down off the stage, walk around to stand in front of the judges' table, uh, like but you're on the floor, and then, then they're they're looking down at you and judging you and you know being funny because they're the giant bomb guys. So. Right. Um, I honestly can't remember what they said about us, but uh, I do remember later on in the night, uh, Austin, when Austin and, and Mo and Megu were there, and like this one band was playing. Uh, this is gonna sound stupid, but they were playing uh the Param- a, a Paramore song. I don't remember which one, but I was you know sometimes I get especially towards the end of the night I get like a little bit in a dancey mood and I, I like for a band to sometimes play something that that can be danced to by dance I mean like I'm, I grew up punk rock so like I like to skank which is a t- type of punk dancing um and uh so I was you, dancing you, you pirouette the- sure that's what it looks like so I was like I was quote unquote dancing down in front of the stage uh to this stupid Paramore song and uh you guys joined in as a mosh pit which was ridiculous. Um <laughs> Mo wanted and- to mosh. All I wanted to do was to point and laugh and then he pushed me in a direction. I was like, "All right, I'll jump." And then I bumped into Mo and I dropped my beer. And, and, yeah, then it just became a mess. Um, and then after it was over, uh, like uh, they were judging. Uh, Alex that, just goes, "You!" Uh, yeah, Alex points to me and goes, "You come here." And I walk over, and he's like, "You do realize the uh, what do you th- I think it was the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones do have a dancer, right?" And yeah, it was just funny. And then I told, uh, I whispered to Jeff that NDX is the best podcast ever, and he should give that group a good score. But NDX at bxr.me. Anyway, um, so yeah, uh, that that was the Rock Band Night at Brattle. Choo-choo. It was a great time. Um. And it was a club. lot of fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun for me too. Even though we didn't get to go up, I was like, "Fuck it!" You know, I'm here. I'm. This is. It's great to have them here. It's great to see Pete getting called out by Alex. <laughs> and the closing was awesome too, because they just had like kind of everybody go up and they, like you know, the giant bomb guys and the the harmonics guys and the some of the improv Boston people were up on stage uh, doing a giant uh, sing along to uh, Piano Man, and you know, the, all of us were down on the floor, kind of you know, swaying and swing and singing along. There's a great picture of you, me, uh, Mega and Mo, just like drunkenly yeah. swaying back and forth, even though Mo was completely sober because he had to drive. <laughs> um, yeah, it, that's on Flickr. Um, I wonder what the guidelines are of taking a screenshot of that and Facebooking it because I don't want to take credit away from oh, the photographer. I take uh, she doesn't mind. I mean, I take pictures that she has of me. I'll, like I think if you're in the picture, it's cool. Uh, there's a lot of people gotcha. out there who go to the Improv Boston stuff and use her pictures as their Facebook profiles. Oh, okay, gotcha. Hell, most of my pictures, my profile pictures, are from her. That's true. Your 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 Google Wave one was too. Yeah. Um, um, <coughs> so anyway, yeah, uh, that was Rock Band Night, and then. We yep. tried to go to a Destructoid party, which failed. Yeah, we got lost. Not the party, us failed. Uh, yeah, we got lost and missed the party. And then, like, the hotel room that we ordered or that we thought we reserved, we actually didn't get. And we only had one king bed for five people. Well, four, because Pete uh, mercifully decided to go home. Uh, <laughs> because 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 otherwise, we would have all had to fight for the bed space. Uh, one bed, no cots, because all the nerds had taken them out, because they actually came earlier in the day. Um... And, like, our drive up there was, was horrendous. It was torrential rain. So, yeah, like, the yeah, the actual drive was for, was around four, four and a half hours. And the only reason why we made it when we did was because Mo, Maurice broke many, 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 many speed limits. Um, many. And, uh, I don't know, we ended up leaving late from my place. We ended up leaving late, picking up Megu. And so it was just all a disaster. And I ended up by going, I need a fucking drink. And I just drank myself into a hunger kind of uh, like like a super a super hungry state where I devoured like seven of the little wheat thins bags that we brought for the road trip. So, yeah. Um and that's also when the Japan stuff happened, so that was like kind of a a buzzkill. Yeah, which really like we were like we were all worried uh not just for Japan, but like you know for anybody that may have been in Megu's family who lives there. And so we were like uh, they're okay. 
thank God. Um, and then Ron, 47 Communications, uh, guest on the podcast, uh, emails me. He's like, yo, I don't know if this quake is affecting only Japan or if they're like tsunamis that have, make, that have made it down to Taiwan, but I'm just making sure you're all right. And I'm like, holy shit. And so like, I email my sister. I'm like, dude, are, what's going on? She's like, oh, we're fine. Every, everybody, no, nobody in our family has really said anything. So I was like, all right. Um, so it, that kind of cast, like, to me, for me, that kind of cast a small shadow over, you know, the, the, the event. Not because I know anybody in Japan, but still, like, it's it's not something that, you know, you want to happen to anybody, you know? So, you know, I, I tried to, you know, I, I personally tried to not think about it, not to be, not to be an ass, but to, just to be like, all right, well, you know, um, they're doing what they can. I'm here and I can donate and I might as well, you know, be thankful that I, you know, that I am here and not suffering like them. So make the best of it. Um, by the way, there's someone who asked, uh, who asked a, a question on, on one of Giant Bomb's live feeds. They're like, how do you think the earthquake in Japan is going to affect like, like how, uh, how games come out? Are they going to be delayed? Is there something we can do to help them get these games out faster? And everyone was just like, and I was like shocked that someone asked that question. And Ryan Davis was just like, that's really fucked up that you actually asked that question. You can live without, like, whatever game he cited. You can live without, like, Motorstorm or something for another two weeks. Come on. Like, don't ask stuff like that. Like, it was like, really? Wow. Um, but anyway, that's a tangent. Uh, the first day, uh, Pete, we played Mortal Kombat, and I played Bastion on the first day, right? Yes. So how uh, did you feel about Mortal Kombat? All right. So for Mortal Kombat, uh, we played on an actual, like, well, okay, not an actual, but, you know, a mock arcade machine um, that had arcade sticks, which were basically, like, modified PS3 controllers, I think. Yeah, right. they had the PS3 button labels on them. But anyway, it was still like a, it was like an arcade-style experience. Um, so that really colored my opinion of the game because, uh, I mean, I like fighting games as an arcade experience but you know like uh playing mortal kombat at home street fighter at home things like that with like a uh, with an with a controller it just uh isn't the same so uh that alone definitely made me enjoy playing this new mortal kombat uh, i mean going into it i wasn't really super psyched for uh the new mk because because um i don't know just every every mk since like you know old two. school ones like <laughs> yeah like two three like i've just I feel like, you know, got me hyped and then kind of failed. Um, again, it's probably just the, the, the lack of arcade experience and not really wanting to play these type of games at home. Um, so, but yeah, like, I mean, I felt like when me and Austin played against each other and we're at this, like, arcade-style cabinet and fighting it out and it was just straight up, like, Mortal Kombat, you know, uh, I forgot who you were, but I was Reptile. and I was Liu uh, Kang. Yeah, so, like, you know, it just, it's like a flashback to old times and i i had a blast playing it it looks great uh the the uh controls with the arcade stick i felt were were, were really good um i was having trouble pulling off moves just because it felt like some of the uh the move combos may have changed or i just yeah. can't remember the exact uh button presses but um yeah i i really enjoyed playing the game in that in that context uh if i could have a machine like that and then actually have friends to play all the time, I'd probably play it a lot, but it's still like I just know in my head that I'm not it's not a game I'm going to actually buy as a retail game to play at home. Um, which is a shame because I think it's a great iteration of Mortal Kombat. So what what's really weird about the control scheme is that uh it's not if if I'm going like top uh, left right, top down, it's not high punch, high kick, block, low punch, low kick. It's like it's weird. It's like attack one, attack two, attack. It's just one, two, well, three, and like, four. Um, what you call it? Like Deadly Marvel. Alliance or MK vs DC. Oh, is that what it was like? Okay. Mm-hmm. Same um, thing. Yeah. So like when I'm trying to do a Liu Kang like um, kick, 
and I and I and I whiff it, and instead I punch. It's mm. like, and what I mean by that is Liu Kang's special kick when he flies across the screen, um, and I mess that up. I end up punching instead. Like, I, if I mess it up, I would expect him to do a high kick. Right, because you would expect that to be with a kick button, but it's right. only button two. But it's only button two, and it's just it's such a weird mind fuck. It's it's like incongruous with what you know MK to be. So it's like I don't get these buttons to do an uppercut. You crouch and you press what normally is a high kick button. Mm-hmm. Which makes it even more weird because it's like, well, I, you know, uh, uppercuts usually high punch, which is the one button. Um, mm-hmm. Until they came out with Mortal Kombat vs. DC, where they completely changed everything. Oh, yeah, and, and uh, kind of those move changes made it over. So, like, Liu Kang's kick is no longer forward, forward, it's back, forward. Mm-hmm. Same thing with the fireballs, same thing with Scorpion's spear. So, it's that type of thing where that's how much they've changed it up. Um, but the tactics are still the same. It still feels the same. And in my opinion, it looks great. Like, it, it still uses a weird exaggerated, a quasi-realistic slash exaggerated style that, that I, I guess is a, a a better version of what's in Deadly Alliance. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, st- I still think it fits. It's very col- it's very rich, I should say. Not super colorful, because Mortal Kombat has always been, like, dark-ish. Yeah. But, uh, well, I, oh, two at least. But it's still very, like, rich and deep, the coloring, I mean. So it's 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 plenty good to look at. Um Unfortunately, I don't think what I think I missed was, and Pete, you may have seen this, but I think we're both on the same line. So not same line, but in the same place in the line. So I don't know if you glanced over, but there was there was Mortal Kombat. I think playing on a 3D TV, um, right next to the set of kiosks, um, and I I have the sneaking suspicion that it was glasses free because I didn't see anybody wearing glasses. No, they were they're... definitely wearing glasses. Oh, they were. Okay, yeah. okay, never mind. Um, I thought it was glasses free. Anyway, so that was Mortal Kombat. I um, you know, I I, I play fighting games at home. Sometimes, so I I would still get it, uh, but yeah, I probably it, well I probably have to try it. Yeah, it's it was really the joystick that sold me on the experience, like you, Pete. It was just like having that in your hands, and like I really don't think it'd be the same with a shitty 360 controller. I mean, I might fuck it, I might get it on PS3 instead if I were to play it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, and then I think I went to Bastion right after that. Um, Bastion is being made by Supergiant Games. Al, I don't know if you've ever heard anything about it. Nope, nothing. So uh one of the things for me is that one of the guys behind it the creative director he he was he was the uh editor in chief of GameSpot um right. before he Greg yeah before Kasavin. Gershman became it was Kasavin, yeah that was him um and it's an, it's an isometric hand drawn game and the big uh aesthetic the two big aesthetic things about it are one um the narrator narrates as you do th- narrates what you do as you do it okay. um so like uh, like if like the first scene is you getting out of bed, um, going to a door, opening it up, and traveling through a field, and then picking up a hammer, and so the guys like the guy like you get out of bed, and the guys like the kid wakes up from his bed, takes a look around the room, something something blah 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 blah, and then as you start to walk, the second aesthetic thing starts to show itself, and what it is is basically the 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 level and the world building itself up around you as you move. Mm. So, um, like tiles come up from the floor, and it's not like you can run fast and over uh, and outrun the building of right. the world, such that you can fall off. I mean, you can fall off, but not because like you were not too fast for the going too fast. Right, not because you were too fast for the earth. Which is uh, really funny because when you fall off, the narrator's like, "The kid falls to his death." No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't really say no, just kidding, but he just say something like, "That'd be a terrible way for the story to end," or something. And oh, someone's like back Prince in the world. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, happening that way. No, 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 no. It wasn't like that. Yeah, it was kind of like that. Um, and so, like, yeah, as you're walking and this and this like pathway is building itself in front of you, is like the ground swells up beneath the kid's feet 
as if he was controlling the fate of the world or something like that. It's it's not just like um it's so it's not just like uh, a dialogue box set like you get up out the bed and the dialogue box says he gets out of bed. It's like the guy is talking with you as you're doing it. And so while that really doesn't have a bearing on gameplay, it's an ultra cool way to present what's going on around you. You know that reminds me. It's as if Glados wasn't malevolent in Portal. <laughs> <laughs> kind of. Kind of, but it's but it's also less. Well, I, I you know I mean, yeah, because he's not talking to your character; right. he's just talking to you. But I mean, it's right. just like that constant like presence. Yeah, which is a, a nice feeling. Yeah, I I I, I totally agree with that. What have were you, you saying, Al? Have you guys seen Stranger Than Fiction? Stranger uh, Than Fiction. Will Ferrell. Uh, yes, yes, yes. Jones, I haven't. No, is, I wanted to. This is essentially what you're saying in movie form, or should I say, right. Stranger Than Fiction is essentially. Well, in that he becomes a, yeah, I mean, of the like, aspect of aware. someone narrating someone else's life as they're going on. Yeah, actually, the narrator does become a character in the game. Well, they always. Oh, you're talking about in the game, really? Yeah, like later on, like because like it'll be and the kid found somebody and it was me, kind of thing. Like mm-hmm. at the very end of the demo, um, you run into the guy who is the narrator. I mean, uh, I don't. It's not like you run into him as he's narrating. Uh, like I guess I guess the whole thing is supposed to be like you know <laughs> he's just hilarious. retelling this. He's just retelling the story, so like, right, yeah. So it's not like, uh, yeah. Anyway, though, though I wouldn't put it past him to be like, "Oh, this is just a this is just a red herring to get you interested in the retail product." Mm-hmm. Well, either way, I'm which would be fine. Which would be fine. Like I'd like totally be fine when they kill you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Right. 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 Or do they? Um, but yeah, it, it's it's very colorful. Um, I don't necessarily know that I like the way that the main character is drawn. That's me being picky. But overall, just looking at it, it's go- it's absolutely gorgeous. Um, it reminds me of uh, it reminds me of Final Fantasy Tactics. No, no, it reminds me of uh of Saga of Roma- uh, Saga Frontier Two in that it's kind of this like watercolory, very intensely colored experience. Um, but yeah, it's it's. It looks great, and it plays pretty well, too. Um, I, and Pete, maybe you can verify this for me, but I wasn't sure with how linear it was because I came across, like, forks in the road, and, like, I didn't take one fork because I took another, and that led into a building which led out into a totally different area. So I'm wondering if that was another path or if that was literally just like, oh, here's a hidden treasure chest. Yeah, I mean, I tried to explore most areas, and, like, I felt like I knew that if I went in one place, it was going to progress the story, so, like, I kind of tried okay. to explore areas before I moved forward, and, yeah, it definitely is, it's linear, but uh, there are the branching paths, which you can pick up extra items and stuff like that. Like, uh, the part you're probably thinking of is when you go into the tavern, there's actually another building next to it. Correct, um, yes. But no, the other right. building is just an upgrade shop, so uh, okay. like you would... Oh, no, 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 it wasn't the building, there was a pathway that split off to the left of the weapon shop. Oh, okay. Yeah, but even that, I think, was just, like, everything, every time I went down a path that was, like, didn't seem part of the main path, it was always just, like, a, a small little path that had, like, an item pickup or something. Right. Oh, gotcha. Um, the other thing about that is um, one of Maurice's friends, uh, Darren, who played with him on the Rock Band Team Ruffle Mal when they won the Harris Tournament and won X thousands of dollars, um, one of the guys, their drummer, Darren, no, 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 or was he, I don't know, I forget if he was a drummer or a guitarist, but he, uh, He's Mo, actually Mo's the sound friend. designer. Most friend is actually the sound designer on this game, which is pretty cool. Oh, that is um, cool. So I'm trying to find for for Al. I'm trying to find screenshots to kind of give him a. Uh, While a, you're doing that, I would just like to mention like like my experience playing it. I, I mean, I love yes, the please do. Stuff, I didn't but, get uh, to talk to you much about it, so I'd, I'd like to hear. I mean, I'm just going to kind of. I think I did tell you this. I'm going to just repeat what I told you. If I did tell you, it was that the only problem I had with it was the controls. Um, just because. Oh, uh, okay. Like the. 
the control setup uh, default uh, button presses. It was like I felt it was reverse of what I wanted to press. Like I think it was B was the uh, evade button and um, A A was got, roll. Yeah, or uh, sorry, yeah, A was roll and B was attack um, or something like that. I don't know. Either way, whatever it was, like I felt I wanted it to be reverse because I kept hitting the button that should have. Like I kept hitting the button I wanted it to be instead of the other one. And so anyway, after well, I that's done, your fault. After I was done playing it, I did ask Greg uh, if there was going to be any kind of. Uh, 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 the fuck am I looking? Button, button configuration. Yeah. Uh, in in the game, and he said obviously not really for the 360 version. You know, uh, they might be buttons. There might be control schemes, but uh, there probably won't be like you know free button mapping. But um, they are planning on bringing the game out to the PC in the future. And you know, I asked him, does that mean Steam? And he said he couldn't confirm that, but that he would hope so because he like me prefers to buy all his stuff on steam uh and in right. which case when it comes out on pc it should have uh you know a lot more options for button mapping so uh, i would wait personally if i was i want to i want to get this game and personally i would wait for the pc version so i could play with a control scheme that i was comfortable with uh but either way the game is uh a great experience and it wasn't that hard to to get hold of like the general combat controls and things like that um it's got an interesting like uh like there's melee combat where you're just swinging your stuff, and I, it seems like you can kind of do some light combos, and then there's like a ranged combat, but it has like this auto targeting system where it seems to like very well uh, decide which which is the um, the the biggest threat that it should auto aim to, um, and uh, yeah, I don't know, like the combat wasn't as wasn't very difficult and was easy to pick up, and it's just that one little button quirk that bothered me. Right. Um. It, it's it, for me, it was one of those things where I wasn't overly impressed by the mechanics. Uh. Which is why, like, when I saw demos of it, I'm like, okay, cool. You know, he's 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 making a, uh, you know, these guys are making a game, interesting. But when you see the aesthetics up close, and th- this is me we're talking about, like, I, I I'm usually like, if the game ain't shit, then I don't care how good the graphics are. And that's not to say that the gra- that, that, that that the game was shit. Not far from it. It was a good game. Uh, it, it was just mechanically, it was like, all right, cool. You know, I've seen this before, and they're doing a good job with it. But it's it so at that point, it it's up to the aesthetics to kind of put that type of game over the top, over other other it's oh, oh, over its peers. And I think that just the, how unique it was, it definitely does that. Um, so I I would also rather play it on Steam, just because I can put it on my laptop and travel with it when it finally works again. That's another thing that I've been playing. Fix my laptop. Um, Fun game. You know what? Pete, yeah, you know what, Pete? I don't think I played much else except for that one like Fallen Frontier game, which honestly I don't know if that's super notable notable for me. Um, but you got to play the Gunstringer. Why don't you talk a little bit about that? Okay. Uh, well, that's Twisted Pixels' uh, new game. It's going to be a Connect game. Uh, for those who know Twisted Pixel, are people who did like uh, Explosion Man, The Maw, um, Comic Jumper, a lot of you know all these Xbox Live Arcade games, uh, and you know the. the the Gunstringer is going to be no. De- I know, I'm pretty sure it's not a retail game. Uh, yeah, it's downloadable, but it, it's going to need to connect. So what it is, it's got their cartoony like comic book style, whatever. Um, but uh, you're controlling a a. I, I, remember, I don't even remember what the creature looked like, but it's like uh, it's you're you're doing a marionette thing. Okay, so like it's this creature looking thing. I can't remember what it looked like. Uh, maybe like a uh, like. A salamander, or a lizard, or some sort of like no, a I don't know gecko. Was. was it a gecko? I can't even remember. Now. You know, it was more like a skeleton, uh, like a skeleton type dude, 
And I think the reason why we're thinking Gecko is because that fucking Rango movie that's coming out. Probably, yeah. I think it's confusing me. So anyway, uh, this, this thing, you're marionetting. So uh, you're using your right hand and holding it out. And, you know, you lift it up to, like, uh, pick up this this guy and get him started moving. And, uh, oh, wait, wait. I think I did it the other way. Uh, my I used my left hand to, to marionette him. And then you're using your right hand as a uh, pistol kind of thing. So you're controlling a pistol. So the progression to the level is kind of automated. Uh, it's... You know, a 3D world, and he's kind of moving forward himself, but you can uh, steer him left and right by, you know, moving the marionette hand. Um, it's kind of like uh, sit in punishment, Al. Okay. Except okay. you're uh, moving your hand like a marionette. Yeah. I've never played sit in punishment, so I'm not sure how well, they, they would compare. Well, but... in, t- in terms of you don't have super direct control over the character, but you can du- you can control whether they go left or right um, and whether or not he advances, right? Yeah, because it's uh, on it's on rails. In the, it, that's how it's kind of like sin and punishments. That's on yeah, rails. Mm-hmm. Definitely like an on rails type of thing. Um, and then it uses a uh, I, I don't know how I guess like Child of Eden or Res would be the best examples where it's like a lock on mechanic. You sweep. Um, you have a you know a reticle on the screen and you're sweeping your pistol hand across the screen to like target or mark different uh, guys. And then when you're ready, you just like pop your hand up as if you're shooting and then it like, you know, hold the character will just, you know, sh- shoot off a couple rounds and take them out. Um, there are parts in the game where like you'll like automatically take cover behind something and then you got to like, you know, mark stuff off and then use your marionette hand to lean them out of cover, shoot off a couple rounds and get back in. Uh, it, it It is very much like now I think about it, an on-rail shooter, like a... a, a a, a modern light gun style game, if you will. Um, and uh, they're, they're like our boss fight. I mean, I only got to do one boss fight where it's uh, just like this giant, um, like uh, inflatable cactus looking thing that you're uh, again, behind cover, leaning out, marking off parts of the, the, the body. I mean, this thing's like super tall, like, uh, like, yeah, way big up in the air type of thing. Sorry. Um, <laughs> and so I, I'm just like realizing now how much on rails it was. Uh, it, like, the game itself, okay, it's fun, but it's another game that's not going to make me buy a Kinect. And I don't think, compared to the other Twisted Pixel games, I don't think it lives up to their uh, pedigree of stuff. I mean, definitely, like, definitely writing-wise and visual style-wise it probably does. Although, I think it looks actually a little worse than some of their other stuff. Um, Maybe may because it's more of a 3D world. Uh, but it's... I don't know. It's very simple gameplay. I mean, I even felt when I was saying there, like, I, I, that's what I was thinking to myself. I was like, this is simple. Like, I'm not really, like, into what's going on. I'm kind of just doing, going through the motions. And, uh, um, yeah. it. Yeah, when I was watching it, I kind of, I was like, oh, you know, I, um, I want to, I wish I was waiting online so I could try it after Pete. And then I was, as you were playing it, I was like, eh, you know what? I'd rather play Sin of Punishment and or Child of Eden, you know, because... I don't know. There's there, there's something about it that just kind of seemed, um, kind of seemed like like if you're not going to kind of do something that Child of Eden, like Child of Eden is is you know, it's Miz, right? So he's going to do something psychedelic, and it's gonna it, it's it's gonna have that flair to it, and that kind of flair is what I think was missing from that game. Granted, I didn't hear it very well, so I didn't get to hear some of the writing, um, but I you know, Twisted Pixel games have always seemed to be one of those games where one of those uh types of games where I'd rather watch than actually play, mm. if that means anything. So, um, yeah, um, I was what else did you that... play? Because I think that was it for me. I, I, that's all I really did was Bastion and Mortal Kombat. Oh, and 3DS. Shit, there's that too. Um, what'd you think of 3DS? Do you really want to get into this? Am I going to like rush through that? You can, you can rush through it. We have, we have a whole five minutes. That's what I'm saying. Like, I'd rather just push that till next week and talk about it. 
Uh, well, since it's coming out soon, I'm gonna think before it comes out, we talk about it. Yeah, since it's gonna come out soon, I I, I want to quickly talk about it though. Um, so I didn't get the sense that it's something that I needed to have. Uh, it was one of those. We've been saying it's one of the things where it's like, well, you get you got to try it first to really see. So I tried it, and I definitely don't need to have it. Um, if one fell into my lap, I would obviously be <laughs> happy about truck. it. Or off a truck, yeah. But um, it uh, the 3D works, and even it even worked despite my astigmatism. Like, but it did kind of flounder in some spots, like with pilot wings. Uh, there are a whole bunch of on-screen indicators, like just little arrows and shapes, uh, and really, like I was see I was seeing double of those shapes and arrows the entire time. Like I could not adjust the 3D in any way to make it go away without turning it off. Um, and so I really think it was just my problem. Pete, were you seeing the same thing? Because I was asking you, and you said that you didn't really see that. Uh, I'm sorry, see what? See, seeing double with yeah, like no, with the pilot yes. wings, with the pilot wings indicators, like the the arrows it, and all that stuff. I don't think it was with pilot wings. Um, but I definitely there was some stuff where the, yeah, I could see the double. Uh, I mean, and obviously, if you're not looking at it straight on, if you lean even a little bit to the left or right, you definitely get that. Uh, that fucking you can see the the, the stuff behind the screen, like the way the screen is layered or whatever. Right. Like. <clears throat> I think the so I played that I played a little bit of uh, Resident Evil Mercenaries or whatever the hell they're calling that I have no interest in that game because uh, all it is is the Mercs mode you're just shooting people to a timer that's controls it controls are fucking terrible well the controls are Resident Evil uh, yeah. and like that's and what I meant, like for that game specifically I'm fine with it like wow. I didn't have a problem with the controls the only problem I had was that the I could not invert aim so I was going like up and down when I meant to go down and up. Um, but the game itself was just nothing special. It's like I'd rather play RE4 or RE5. Um, Street Fighter was the real deal. I started playing that, and I was like, if I'm going to get anything on this system, like on launch, if I were to get it on launch, it would definitely be Super Street Fighter 4. Uh, it controls, despite the fact that the D-pad is in an awkward place and you have to deal with the L and R buttons, it otherwise controls like a dream. Um, the 3D worked kind of the best on that, I guess, because you didn't have to contend with all these multiple angles because it's it's a 2D fighter. So, like, the sensation was very kind of contained and controllable, and I didn't feel like I was, like, losing the sensation every five seconds. Like, maybe every minute, but otherwise I was kind of absorbing the fight. All the stuff about people saying, like, you have to really find your sweet spot and, like, it's easy to kind of lose focus if you don't concentrate on it. Uh, those are all true for me, at least. Uh, I don't know about you, Pete, but, like, I found myself having to readjust, and like I said with Street Fighter, it happened far, far less than with the other games. Um, I don't know if that's a factor of the type of game it was, but that's that's what my inclination is. So uh, it fe- it felt great. The The slide pad felt really good. It felt much, much better than the PSP stick. Like, no comparison. Um, and you played with that and a D-pad? Yes. I, I, I played with both to see which one felt better with Street Fighter. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the D-pad felt better with Street Fighter, but the the pad, the slide pad itself, removed from, like, what game you were playing, like, just in and of itself felt good. 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 Um, uh, do I have a question about Street Fighter? Um, yes. Did you... Ask me anything. <laughs> anything. Um... Isn't there supposed to be some kind of like behind the back 3D mode or something like that? I did not try that because okay. I thought it looked stupid when I okay. saw like when I saw them talking about it like in in previews and stuff, and I'm like, I would never want to play a Street Fighter game like that. Mm-hmm. I should have tried it just for shits and giggles though. Because mm-hmm. um, I'm thinking if I get the 3DS next week, I will most likely get that game and nothing else. Uh, right. Especially because you don't have it. It's expensive. Yeah. Yeah. Especially um, since I don't have it. Like like yeah I. And Pete, I know, like I know, you want to save it for next week, but just as a preview, Pete played Nintendo, no, just, Nintendo Dogs and Cats. Okay, 
I'll run down my 3DS stuff, but I'm going to save the other games I played at PAX for next week. Okay. Um. So, okay, yeah. So, uh, base, basic uh, thing about the 3DS is that, like you, I tried it. You know, I'm definitely impressed with the tech, but I don't think it's something I'm going to need to have. And uh, we only had about maybe 20-minute play session jumping from game to game. I'm still worried about the extended play sessions and how they're going to affect. Because even after that, like, 20 minutes or so, I did feel a little off. Now, as for the games themselves, I tried Nintendogs plus Cats. Um, I don't like that compared to the original based on the fact that in the original game, you had your pet on the bottom screen on the touch screen. And when you pet it, you felt like you – I mean, yeah, it's just a fucking virtual animal. But you still feel some sort of connection like you're, you know – Mm-hmm. petting this damn thing on this one all they have is a silhouette like a like a cartoon drawing of the character uh, outline of the pet on the bottom screen and the uh, animals stay on the top screen which is a 3d screen so i feel like there's a disconnect now between you and the animal and like that was the whole appeal of the first game is feeling like you're connecting to this animal like now with that disconnect i, I kind of have yeah. no interest in it um which really sucks because uh i would have liked to uh if i had a, a ds again like you know like was interested in trying again with the cats. I would, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm not going to be because of that. Uh, I mean, it looks the same. It plays the same, it seems like, uh, except for the whole 3D thing, um, which they did make a, th- a good 3D-looking animal, but again, that disconnect kind of hurts it. Okay, so other than that, uh, oh, the first thing I tried was a tech demo, which was uh, like some archery thing, where this actually used the 3D to great effect, more so than the other games I tried, because the guy told me, he's like, you know, a lot of people... This is a 3D – you have to imagine that this is actually on the table. It, it was one of those AR games where I had the card on the table and it, you know, populated or, or like, you know, created a little thing. Yeah. Uh, so, like, for instance, it would create, like, a rock formation and then there would be targets around the rock formation. And he's like, you know, you got to, like, aim around the, to, to get the different targets. He's like, a lot of people will just try to move the DS, but you actually have to think of it as something on the table and, you know, reorient your entire body to get around. And that worked. Like, you know, like, if I was holding the DS, like, as if I was looking through, like, a window and then, like – like move like you can't see me but i'm like pivoting my entire body down and around like the whole scene would shift that way i'd be looking around this object so that really worked well Uh, i was quite impressed with that uh it'd be interesting to see that put into other games um rather than just this tech demo but yeah then the other games i tried was like the resident evil game which i just hated the controls that's probably why i never played four or i played a little bit of four and didn't get through it and i played i didn't play any of five i'm not into that resident evil style control scheme it's too cumbersome for me i don't like it um and i was just getting my ass kicked in the in the 3ds game it looked okay uh but yeah i just couldn't get over the control scheme so i didn't really put much time into it pilot wings i really enjoyed uh the i i did i tried two different trials the first one was a uh fly the plane around the island trial um and uh I did that one, uh, I jumped into first person, and it was awesome, like, the 3D effect, flying around this island with the third person, uh, like, or first person, was, uh, worked perfectly, I, I, I was able to, like, pull all these crazy maneuvers, like, and stuff like that, uh, without much, uh, difficulty, and then I tried a second one, which was the jet, uh, uh, jetpack, uh, trial thing, where you have to, like, land on different points in the air, um, but that one you couldn't go into first person, and I was just having a lot of trouble controlling it. Uh, not not even just because of the 3D though that was hard with it it was definitely throwing off my depth perception on stuff I don't know like why you think it would make it easier but I was I couldn't target things properly I couldn't like like line things up and, and land properly um and so, yeah, I don't know, like, that game, again, in first person was awesome, but, like, if everything's not going to have first person, I can see some of those things being difficult or just not fun. The jetpack thing was just not fun. Uh, and then I also tried Dead or Alive. Um, I don't know if there's a subtitle of that game or not, but uh, it... it I, it's, a, it's something with DS in it, I think. Oh. As a Dead or Alive fan... Um, 
I enjoyed it. It definitely like it worked. Again, the 3D was was it was good. Uh, I mean, I I think the best example of 3D was that that AR game, and then probably Pilot Wings in the first person. This one was just it was serviceable. Like you know, it didn't bother me, but it 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 didn't like add a lot either. Um, so it just kind of hello yeah it happened. Again. <laughs> he dropped. PT dropped. He'll be back. With Fuck. 3D off. I can hear there you. There you are. Hey, welcome back. I guess welcome I didn't drop back. too much because hey, I still I heard everything you were just saying and I was still on the call. <laughs> um anyway, so yeah, like it didn't uh I was just saying that it it was it was it didn't get in the way. It didn't add a lot, but it didn't like detract from my experience either, and I was able to just play the game. Um and d- fucking Dead or Alive on the DS is actually a pretty good fighting game in my opinion. Like uh like it definitely uh captured that Dead or Alive spirit of button mashing, which I like to do. Um and uh made me want to go play some more uh, go back and play some DOA four. Uh but yeah, that that was pretty much my experience with the DS. Uh again, and I'm not gonna buy it. Uh if if it was cheaper, like I, I'd probably get one maybe for the 150 price point, and if there were games I definitely wanted to play in 3D, um, again if they make some cool ass stuff with that that AR tech, uh, that'd be pretty pretty awesome. Who's face? But, you shot Mo's face, right? Oh, and right. Mo yeah, shot me. I forgot. I also did the face Raiders thing uh, where I took a picture of Mo, and then it was shooting him. Um, that kind of had the same thing where you had to like move around the world. You had to do some spinning, but since they had the the cable like tying the 3DS to the the podium, it was you know not. As, as easy to yeah. spin around as you should have been yeah. able to, um, but that was funny because yeah, you just had I had pictures of Mo uh, flying at me and blasting him in the face. It was fun, uh, blasting yeah. Mo in the face. Hmm. So that was my 3ds experience. Yay. Um. But yeah, totally, totally want to see what the reception is. I, I, I don't think that that I'd have to wait till it drops in a price point. I just want to wait till more games come out. Really. Um, so we'll see. And, and, and I'm curious to see if they'll, they'll update the form factor in a year like they did with the fucking DS and DS Lite. So, yeah. Um, but yes, that was PAX East for me, at least. Um, we'll, we'll, we can get to the other games that you played as well as the Rock Band stage and me and Mo staying on that thing for like half the day on Saturday. Again, and all the parties and, and, and meeting up with the Giant Bomb crew. Yeah, there's and, actually a lot more to PAX East than just and, what we talked about And here. sitting there in the bar um, watching people with gigantic backpacks trying to maneuver around when you know <laughs> that when you go to a crowded bar, you do not wear a backpack. So. And meeting crazy-ass fuckers like Rudy. Um, oh, jeez. And, uh, yeah, just there's a lot of stuff we can still talk yeah. about PAX East. Um, I'll use some of my what, what I've been playing time next week to do that. Sure. Uh, so that does it for us. Al, do you have any final thoughts or questions about the PAX East? That we might not cover next week. No. Hopefully we will. Alrighty then. So, Al, where do you live? I live here. Um, I'm not pimping anything this week. Oh. Pete, where do you live? Um, uh, Twitter.com slash Riven. Twitter.liver slash comma. Everyone loves dinosaurs.com, AustinDelight.com, DrFishMass.com, www.sharkversusoctopus.com, Rocco Forte Musica on Amazon MP3 downloads. There, I did it for you. Uh, and you can find me at twitter.com slash Mr. Chupon with an O, not a zero, an O. Al is at Mr. Chupon.com. I, was, I can't believe <laughs> I'm about to say that. Twitter.com slash D Red Mage. Dread Mage. Even though Mo thinks it should be Braid Mage, but I don't know. Um, all right, that'll do it. So for Pete. I'm in your host, Pax East, and we're out. The kid falls to his death. No, just kidding. <laughs>